2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing?
1: What better way to start your day in the land of Oz than with a Nets win?
2: Yeah, Jack, you got to wake up to a nice dub for the Nets. 112, 107. The Nets beat Boston at Barclays Center today. And before we get into a quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, and NetsRepublic.com. But Jack, it was an exciting win, and they really bounced back after a, a tough loss Wednesday night. What were the major differences that led to the win, Nick? I think from the gecko, the engagement and the physicality to start the game were high. You know, Boston came in, you know, a little bit lackluster, maybe a Thanksgiving hangover where the Nets were just locked in. They got out to an early lead, and they pretty much led this entire game. There was one slight portion in that second quarter where Boston led by one point for, I think, maybe like 30 seconds. But from that point on, you know, Boston was trying to get back in the game, but the Nets did a great job of maintaining that lead. Also, I felt like Kenny probably did a better job of staggering the minutes in this game where you saw him... Uh, use Torian Prince and Joe Harris and Garrett Tupper with a bench a little bit more and then have Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen play with Theo Pinson and Moose at times to kind of make up for some of their lackluster play
1: I like it I like it and coach Kenny did mention the physicality he said he I think that's what kept us in the game or getting the lead I think it was our physical presence they went super small they're still strong fast I felt like DeAndre really helped us how was DeAndre coming back from that ankle injury
2: he looked very spry. His alley Oop in the second quarter at the end of the second quarter, probably the highest he jumped all season. Like he was just getting up, he looked engaged, he looked locked in, and he pretty much understood why he was out there to battle with Ennis Cantor and not let him get any offensive rebounds. And I felt like DeAndre did a pretty good job. And he was more active defensively, not sagging as much. There are still a couple plays where you wish he came out on Kemba Walker, but luckily, you know, Kemba wasn't really locked in today compared to how he was
1: Wednesday. How did the Nets stop Kemba, obviously, from that 39 performance just a few days ago? What were the differences that the Brooklyn Nets and the coaching staff made uh, to lock in on a guy of Kemba Walker's talents? They just did a better job defensively, you know, better
2: job chasing him off screens. Jared Allen also did a better job of positioning himself. You saw in that game on Wednesday night, you know, Kemba was able to able to get underneath him and get those foul calls. It wasn't as evident today. Jared did a great job of staying straight up and not allowing Kemba to get that type of position where he was going to get the call. So it was also a team effort, guy stepping in. Just overall, defensively, the team was just l- more locked in as a team instead of even the individual defense was up, but the team defense was just so much better in terms of active in the passing lanes, active with their hands, and just disrupted things for Boston where it wasn't quite as easy as it was Wednesday.
1: Yeah, to limit a guy of his talent, only 17 points, you know, six assists, only go six of nineteen from the field, you know, heck of an effort. I really like from what I watched, Nick, obviously I'm going to watch the game in full and, and in more depth. What Spencer Dimwitty, brought on the defensive end yeah i mean spencer Dinwiddie, all-star spencer Dinwiddie is activated
2: you know this guy is playing lights out on both ends of the floor to score you know i know you asked about the defense i gotta talk about the offense so first 32 points 10 of 19 six of eight from three he got hot in this game and boston was throwing you know double teams at him jalen brown Marcus smart all types of different combinations, and Spence did a great job. And then in the second half, when they started to double team more, you know, we see 11 assists. So he did a great job of passing the ball, but defensively, like you asked about, you know, he was engaged and locked in. I think he took a little bit of the ownership of, hey, we need to slow down Kemba Walker, and he did that. He did a great job reading passing lanes too, got a nice steal in that first half, led to an easy layup. And also, over this last two week stretch, I think his his rim protection has actually been pretty good. We've seen Spencer do when he shows some verticality and also get up for a
1: couple blocks. He blocked Daniel Tice. Like, yeah. <laughs> Daniel Tice is like no small man. Yes, he's like a small ball center of sorts, but to outplay Kemba Walker, who is no doubt an all-star and all-NBA caliber player, just shows you how good Spencer Dinwiddie is. And I'm going to be speaking about, you know, all-star sort of stuff in terms of comments made by Michael Rappaport in extreme detail on JBT. But I'll put it to you again, Nick. I asked you on the last episode, is Spencer Dinwiddie an all-star?
2: Now he's really starting to make a case because you beat a good team like Boston and he was clearly the best player on the floor. You know, Kemba was the best player Wednesday night, but tonight or today it was Spencer Dinwiddie. So he's ascending there and I think his all-around game is having such a great impact on the Nets and we're seeing Spencer Dinwiddie enter his prime and being the best Spencer Dinwiddie he can be. There are still a couple bad decisions, I'd say, but with so much pressure on him and so many decisions asked of him, it was an A-plus game for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had 4 turnovers, but he has the ball in his hands that much and Musa and Pinson have six turnovers combined in only 34 minutes. Spencer Dinwiddie plays 35 minutes, and he has four turnovers. So, I mean, it's all relatively speaking. You said to me, and I'll pose this question to you now, was this the best game of Spencer Dinwiddie's, I guess, pretty, pretty illustrious career from where he has come from?
2: I would say yes in the sense that it's not like he was just like super hot and he was scoring and just doing his thing and it was a bad team. This is a good Boston Celtics team, and they threw quality defenders at him, and he scored 32 points and had 11 assists and outplayed Kemba Walker and was impactful defensively. If it's not his best game, it's definitely top three and best games of his career of an all-around performance
1: he's he's playing some special basketball right now and you know we've spoken about the fact that when Kyrie comes back I'm, I'm interested to see how coach Kenny uh, figures out those rotations and we'll speak about Kyrie a little bit later because this is a Brooklyn buzz and of course we're speaking about our dude uh, his Instagram post and the rest but we'll focus on the game for now Nick why did Jared Allen play 25 minutes though he did still put up another double double
2: yeah a little bit of foul trouble for Jared Allen and then obviously DeAndre was lights out but Allen, when he was in there, was impactful. Jared Allen's becoming, you know, a positive impact consistently for the Nets and helping them win games. I mean, over this last week, he's probably been their second-best player because he's been so impactful on the offensive boards. And then defensively, with his rim protection, There's also one play that stuck out. You know, he got isolated on Jason Tatum and forced him into a really tough mid-range shot that he missed. So uh, Jared Allen's just building up that confidence and becoming a very, very good center that's not just a complimentary piece, but he's a reason why they're winning games now
1: is tell me the story because I, I still find it hard to believe about jared allen's ascendancy to be this absolute monster rebounding ed davis like machine
2: yeah i guess it's all about you know resting your feet in the locker room before the game jack <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he told kenny atkinson that's what he told the media he says he has a new routine and hey keep it up jared superstition whatever it might be it's turned you into a monster on the boards. And I think it was after the Cleveland game, he had that post-game comment where he's getting a better understanding of what he can do in terms of like pushing and shoving guys under the rim. And it's working out where he's just dominating the offensive boards. He, I mean, he, he killed pretty much every Boston center that was out there. You know, Ennis Cantor has that physical advantage on him, but he had a nice block on him, and he just killed him on the defensive end because Cantor couldn't keep up with his speed. So I think Jared Allen just clearly outplayed all of Boston centers. And DeAndre did too, and it was just such a major boost for the Nets to win this game because they didn't necessarily kill the boards, but they were able to keep it balanced.
1: How old is he again, Nick? 21, right? Just checking, just checking. Uh, we'll talk about the other starters. And it seemed to me, uh, as has been the case with Kyrie and Karras out for this extended period, the starters just continue to get the job done.
2: Yeah. I mean, Garrett Temple, you know, early in the season, we had some question marks about him. His play was a little bit inconsistent, but without him right now, the Nets probably aren't winning these games because he's just been so good on both ends of the floor, just doing what you need from a veteran out there. And his three point shot is just starting to cook over this last week.
1: Yeah, it's Flames, 3 of 6 tonight, 12 points, 7 assists, again, leading the team in minutes. He seems to me just to be 37 minutes from a guy who's 33 years old. They need to check that birth certificate, I think, then, because there's no <laughs> way he's 33. And then, yeah, I did a breakdown of his uh, game in, in the loss against Boston. I might have to, I'll i definitely be looking at some of his video because he's playing some, some inspired basketball, a good article on NBA.com slash nets as well. The, the presence that he is bringing is absolutely awesome. But and you Princeton, see a lot
2: ha- of communication with him between the young guys. Like he's always talking to Musa or Pinson or even Jared Allen, whatever it might be, trying to give them pointers.
1: But Princeton Harris, Nick, what did you see from their games?
2: You know, Joe wasn't lights out from three this game, but he still had a positive impact driving to the rim. You know, had a couple steals defensively. He did have one very, very clutch play where he hit Jared Allen with like one second on the shot clock and Allen laid it in or dunked it in to give the Nets a bigger lead with like one minute remaining. And that was pretty much the dagger of the game. I think Torian Prince was solid. You know, he was a better defensively in this game. I think the one thing that bothers me about Prince a little bit is that he just is kind of soft when he's driving to the rim. There was a play where Marcus Smart blocked him. Obviously, Marcus Smart, you know, one of the best defenders in the NBA. But you like to see Prince go up and try to dunk it or just go in there very physical. And I just feel like every time we've talked about this, every time he's driving from the rim, he's either like fading away or trying to like euro step to the side.
1: Yeah, I think that's one thing Garrett Temple could teach him. Spencer could teach him because last game, I remember a specific play of Garrett Temple, you know, driving in, in transition and he got the body contact and he finished through contact. Joe's even good at that too. Joe yep. will obviously like to go under the rim, try and find those different angles as well. But he, those guys are really good at playing through contact. So he can certainly learn from his teammates in that sort of respect. Uh, but Nick, the bench, obviously it's been the Nets Achilles heel of late outside of DeAndre Jordan. Shumpert, Pinson, Musa. Uh, What did you see from those guys?
2: Sean played a good game. You know, he was minus eight, but that's mostly because he was playing with a bench unit so much. He's just bringing energy to the team instantly when he's in the game. He's hyperactive. You know, not every play is a good play, but it's just a positive vibe he's bringing out there. And then he hit some jump shots today. And like, we're not going to expect, you know, Shump to score nine points every game, but when he can give you these added points, it's just like a bonus out there. And he's definitely, you know, earned himself, I think, a roster spot when his, when Wilson Chandler's back, they're going to have to make a decision with probably Theo Pinson, David Nwaba, or even try to make a trade with like Rodion's or Musa.
1: We'll certainly see. Uh, In terms of the the three-point percentage, Nick, to hold the Boston Celtics to 32.1%, 9 of 28 shooting, was there a difference in how the Nets were defending the three-point line or was it that Celtics were missing some shots?
2: You know, I think the Nets did a good job of disrupting the Celtics early, which we've kind of harped on all season long. You disrupt the team. They don't get comfortable. They're going to miss open shots in the second half, and that's kind of what happened. You know, Kemba didn't have a great game. Some of that was the Nets' defense. Some of that was him just missing open threes. Same thing with some of the other Celtics. You could say the Nets maybe got lucky to an extent, but I think the fact is when you disrupt them early, it just takes them out of their comfort zone.
1: Yeah, and they have a lot of talented players, and and I think it shows you it gives you a blueprint because this is one of the best teams in the league. You know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty confident in them. And just to speak generally about the Boston Celtics, I don't dislike this team. And, and I guess I think we'll speak a little bit about guys like Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, these guys dapping up Kyrie after the game. I'm actually a fan of this Boston Celtics squad. And Brad I'm Stevens not, as so a coach. that's all you, Jack. <laughs> Look, it's, it's all maybe, maybe. I think Marcus Smart can, can grind me a little bit. But I respect the personality. I respect the hustle. I think I prefer him to Patrick Beverly, to be honest. But my best friend is also a Clippers fan, so I won't show him this episode. But in general, it is the Boston Celtics media. It is the Boston Celtics brand around the fandom that is what frustrates me the most. And yeah, it's a and people-
2: even the players said that it was kind of annoying them, the fans and the media. Marcus Smart after the game was like. You know, I'm sick of all this Kyrie talk. It's disrespectful to this team because we're playing so well, doing so many good team things. And all you guys are asking about is Kyrie and he's playing in Brooklyn.
1: He said, I mean, there is no hard feelings. I didn't h- hug Kyrie to get on TV. That's two guys that are trying to make a living for their families. Being professional athletes, that's my brother. Regardless of what he did, he works hard. Quite frankly, I'm really Honestly, tired of hearing about Kyrie. Kyrie's no longer with the Boston Celtics. And it's a slap across the face of everybody on this team that's here now to keep hearing Kyrie's name because every one of these guys has to put in the work and we continue to put in the work and we're here and still competing. I've said that and I said that on the podcast with Justin and Cam as well. It takes away from how good this Boston team is and to narrow your focus to an ex player who you've just incredibly jaded about. And again, a lot of well-accredited people in terms of in high positions, you know, journalistically and in those sort of positions are continuing to harp on this guy. And, you know, it's over now. We move on. Um, but for me, it's just it does. Uh, I think Marcus Smart is correct in that, and I understand why you're not the the biggest fan of them, Nick. But you know, I I think maybe and maybe it's sacrilegious. I'm a New Yorker
2: too. It's just against our blood to like Boston teams, so
1: it might be sacrilege, and <laughs> I'm I'm gonna assume that you know I might get some few ads and DMs after this game about my not love for this Boston Celtics team, but respect, I guess. But Yeah,
2: Nick- I respect the Celtics. I think they're a great team. And like you said, there's players that can annoy you on the court, but overall, they're a talented team. They're going to be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And honestly, a likely playoff matchup for the Nets.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a good thing. You know, I think that... The Atlantic Division, we know how strong it is. That you know, within the OTG basketball staff and the podcast and the content that we're producing, a lot of our fans are there. So you know, I like to have a really competitive Atlantic Division. And right now, outside of the Knicks, it's always been and always will be one of the best divisions. But Nick, 30 assists tonight on 43 made field goals. You know, the Celtics only had 16 themselves. Was the ball fizzing, fuzzing, whatever you want to call it, around? How did this number? How did it occur? The ball was moving great. And on the
2: perimeter, the guys were passing up good shots for great shots. And they were kind of attacking that Celtics defense. And I think one issue Boston has is they don't have a great rim protector. So they have to kind of make up for that defensively by overhelping. Nets took advantage where they understood that if they kept moving the ball side to side, they were going to end up with an open three, especially when they started to double-team Spencer Dinwiddie. It almost made things easier for the Nets because as soon as he got the pass off, the next guy just had to make one more pass. And they had to open three. And they're relatively hot from three right now, at least against Boston these last two games. So it worked out well.
1: For me, Nick, when I see 20 turnovers and 30 assists, it doesn't bother me. Because if the ball is moving that much, you're creating ball movement. You're creating open shots. You're getting good shots, great shots. 20 assists to me doesn't mean anything. 20 turnovers, sorry, doesn't mean as much, especially when you're forcing 19 from the Boston Celtics.
2: Yeah, I think... A lot of the turnovers were okay. There's a couple that were just clearly bad decisions. You know, I think two from Torian Prince stick out. And then one late game one from Spencer Dinwiddie that almost kind of cost the game was pretty bad. But for the most part, like you said, you don't really mind it because of the ball movement. And if you're forcing turnovers on the other end, and I felt like that was a defensive key in this game where the Nets kind of wanted to swarm Boston, get in the passing lanes, deflect some passes, you know, steal the ball, just really make them uncomfortable. And when you do that, you can get away with the turnovers. But when you're playing bad defense, you cannot.
1: No Claxton, no Nawaba. Why didn't we see uh, those two blokes suit up for the Brooklyn Nets tonight?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, Claxton was getting DeAndre's minutes when he was out. So that kind of made sense. And there wasn't really a need to play him, especially because Boston plays so small. They don't necessarily play a power forward out there majority of the time. So I think that's why he didn't see any minutes. Nawaba, I don't really know. I think maybe the thinking is, you know, Nawaba out there, he's not a great ball handler. You already have two bad ball handlers and Theo Pinson and Musa are, you know, average at best guys. You want to maybe have them together and not have Nawaba, but I don't know. He he must have, he do something that doesn't make Kenny or the coaching staff happy.
1: It's frustrating. It really is, you know, especially after playing 19 minutes and, you know, Pinson and, and Musa still get, continue to get these minutes. I get that Nawaba can't create as a, a ball handler, but it just brings so much. And uh, I think because the Nets defense was that good and they were able to contain Kemba in a lot of, you know, actions already. I get it, but you know, I just really like this guy. He's, he's become a, a fan favorite, a sort of cult favorite for me anyway. But Nick, we'll get to Kyrie Irving. Let's focus on the injury status of him so far. Any recent news from him, Kyrie, obviously he was on the bench with KD doing a little moves. They were having a bit of fun. What is his injury status at this stage?
2: So Kenny said he's putting shots up. He's not cleared for contact yet. He's going to miss the game against the Heat on Sunday, but it seems like there's a, a probable chance that he'll play next week.
1: Okay, so that's positive to hear. And you know, obviously, against some more tougher teams coming up outside of Miami, it's going to be we need him. I think yep. it's 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 silly to say that. I think that we continue to speak about the same problems every time we do a recap pod, which is generally every single game bar one this season. And it's like, well, our bench let us down. Well, our our backup ball handlers let us down. When you put Spencer Dimwitty as a secondary guard and he can play some more time with a second unit, dear Lord, is he going to feast? The confidence that he is getting right now going up against starters and yes some of them against a makeshift starters like you know colin sexton darius garland you know these sort of blokes but going up against kemba and getting that confidence and he was still good in the last game even though you know his box score didn't necessarily reflect it but it's going to be incredibly positive when he does get back
2: yeah i mean when you replace you know musa and pinson's whatever it is 32 to 34 minutes with you know spencer downey and Kyrie irving you're just going to have such an upgrade like and that was the issue again in this game you know this would have been a blowout if the nets had a good bench because every time the bench came in you know boston would go on a 7-0 run a 5-0 run and just cut into that lead where the nets had double digits and then these guys just couldn't maintain just because they're just not ready for nba rotation minutes they're not ready to play 15 plus minutes a game they could probably squeeze in eight here and there but they just make too many mistakes you know the issue for pinson today obviously offensively he wasn't great as he has been pretty much the entire time he's been playing. But he also had four fouls. And then Musa just makes some really bad decisions. Like he was shooting some deep threes again, where it's like, man, you're not even making your normal threes. You need to like chill with that and just play the game.
1: One thing I also think as well is because, you know, if these guys play 17 minutes a night, those 34 minutes automatically go to Kyrie Irving. I think you could bring in a David Nwaba as well. Yeah, I think, that I think Nwaba
2: is a lot more playable when you have you know an elite playmaker out there, either you know Spencer Dinwiddie or, Kar- or Karis Avert or Kyrie Irving.
1: And when all those guys are back, you know I would love to see him in the rotation because I think in burst minutes, he's the perfect player for that. You know, 15 minutes a night, 12, 15 minutes a night, you know, come off the bench, you know, in a similar role to Shubbitt. I think both of those guys can provide you requisite energy on the defensive end and just do really, really good things. But... Nick, let's talk about that Instagram post. What did what were your initial thoughts on it? What do you think about it now? What do you think about the whole kerfuffle about it all?
2: You know, I was like, wow, we just recorded about this, and then he drops the post like five <laughs> minutes after we recorded. Um, I mean, I understand. Like, he's obviously kind of annoyed, and I think even Boston fans and the Boston players, even Brad Stevens, like, They've taken the obsession to another level, and it obviously got under Kyrie's skin. And he's a human; it's going to happen. And he tweeted about it, and saying like, "This is a game of basketball. This isn't my life. And you guys are making it seem like it's so crazy." And we kind of talked about it a lot in the last show. It's like he played in Boston for two seasons. He missed majority of the games the first season. Like, there's no real tie. I get the issue about being upset with him saying he's going to come back and he doesn't come back. But at the end of the day, players are going to leave. It's going to happen. You can boo him, you can hate him, whatever it may be, but just you know, keep it at that level. I think it just got t- took a little bit taken a little bit too far this time.
1: Yeah, I think from that sense, I'll repeat what I what I iterated on the last pod in terms of the Celtics fans and media and and whoever has this obsession with him feel jaded because they felt Kyrie owed them something, and because this doesn't happen to Boston sports fans, I'll reiterate that it doesn't happen. Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, these guys show loyalty through and through. And like you mentioned, Nick, Isaiah Thomas, you know, the the shoe goes on both feet. But I agree. And I think, you know, there's obviously literally every single person who is on Twitter and has some sort of platform has talked about this. But the key element for this is the the dehumanization of athletes in general. And I believe in it, you know, wholeheartedly because as, as a person who thinks that a person is more than what they do, the way that we just view these guys as a product more than a human being unsettles me. And I think that, you know, for, for Kyrie Irving, for Kevin Durant, guys that don't necessarily think of themselves as like a basketballist run through, through. It's their full identity. They are human beings. They have interests. They have families. They have loves and passions. And to compare, and when a lot of people would just be like, "Well, Kyrie's making millions and millions of dollars. Well, don't play basketball anymore; just retire." I'm like, "Oh, I'm a McDonald's worker, and I get to humanize or whatever." And I'm like, "I hate the deflecting, comparing, comparison strategy for one, because just because it's happening to you doesn't mean that it should happen to other people. Does doesn't that mean it's more reason for it not to happen to Kyrie Irving or yeah. for other people in general because it's happening to you?" That means it's wrong. Like, it's a political bullshit thing that I've seen as well, you know, all around, you know, America and Australia for that matter too. If something bad is happening, that doesn't mean it should happen to people who have, you know, a greater class status or a greater compensation. it's, It's silly to me. And I think, yeah, we need to focus on the fact that everyone in this world is a human being. They have loves, desires, wants, needs. They have mental health issues, whatever they might be. And it doesn't necessarily matter. And, you know, hearing Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman saying that he was rambling and all this sort of stuff, and I don't understand, and you're using these different language and capitalizing stuff, and it's just like, let's just chill on it. Like, let's just let, I, I think a, a, one thing I as well. It felt like it was
2: a pretty basic statement, and people, like, made it seem like he was trying to speak gibberish. Like, it was it was English. Like, I was pretty understandable.
1: I, I think for the people that don't understand it, uh... Ignorant in there and and are, are ignorant in themselves. Because Did you see how many they, people commented and they were like, "Oh wow, why am I going to read this? This is so long." And I'm just like, "Well, it took me what thirty seconds to read, just because you're not used, because you're used to seeing on social media and in and Instagram, BS crap where it's just a person holding a fucking coconut <laughs> water and there's just a tagline, <laughs> hashtag sponsored, dude, just like." enlighten yourself a little bit and actually inform yourself because if you're not going to read it you don't get to have an opinion like i think at the end of the day informed opinion is what i value and for a lot of the part you know from people you know like cam like justin and, and other celtics people who i trust and value and there's some people who do have you know worthwhile opinions on kyrie irving and on athletes in general and will give credence to both sides I do understand it from the the, the the foot of, well, Kyrie, you know, this is part of the brand. This is part of it. I do agree that to an extent. And, but at the same time, I think we are taking it too far and we're probably coming from it at an element of bias because we are Brooklyn Nets fans and we're obviously going to stand up and stand for our boy, but I probably would be doing this in general. And I think the same, I would say the same thing about Chris Depp Porzingis and, and what happened to him at MSG you know i think again new york fans and boston fans are, are a different breed when it comes to to sports fandom but we're treating these people not like people like lesser like non-humans and to continue to just see them as this you know this product and this 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 vehicle for for entertainment and nothing but uh, I think it it it's part of what's wrong with this world in terms of you know we need to all realize that we all have our struggles in this world, we all you know have our ups and our downs, and to it almost revel in in making a person feel worse and criticizing it further. You know, Kyrie's gonna have this like a duck off his back because you know he hasn't responded since. Because and we saw him pretty happy at the at the game today, hanging out with his best friends, uh, DeAndre Jordan and Kevin Durant, and you know seeing some of his old teammates too, in Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and, and all the rest. So, for me, I- I'm I'm happy to have Kyrie, and I'll probably speak even more about this on JBT as well. Make sure you subscribe to that and this uh, on iTunes and all other platforms. But man, we need to the obsession with Kyrie. Again, I put this out weeks ago. It's an unhealthy obsession with Kyrie, and I thought it was borderline unhealthy. From some people, it is way over that border.
2: Especially some media people that are supposed to be professional. And like I said, I have no issue with Boston fans booing or saying Kyrie sucks. That's just... What's going to happen in the NBA? But when you take the next level and you say, hey, this guy's missing a game because he's scared of TD Garden or he's faking an injury and, like, questioning his character and just pretty much putting all the blame on him. And it's funny because Brad Stevens come out, other former teammates, even Jalen Brown, who it seems like doesn't have a good relationship with Kyrie, said it was weird that they were doing that type of thing to him. So I think just overall, like, I'm kind of just happy this two game stretches over because I think next time when they match up, it is going to die down.
1: March 3, 2020 at TD Garden. So a few months' time when we're recording this buzz again. Hopefully Kyrie Irving is fit and healthy. Who knows? Maybe your boy Kevin Durant is too.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, definitely Karis LeVert will be at least, you know, long as nothing happens, knock on wood. So, you know, we'll be in good shape then. It'll be a nice matchup. The Celtics will probably have Gordon Hayward. And these two teams could be fighting for a playoff spot. But overall... I think, you know, all this drama is kind of taken away about how well the Nets have really played over these last six games. they won five of their last six. They had a real shot to beat Boston on Wednesday night if the bench wasn't so bad. So when this team gets fully healthy, we could see a big win streak. Like, I'm just putting that out there. When Kyrie's back, when Karis is back, we're seeing these complimentary players step up, and we're going to see guys more rested. Like, I think the Nets are going to be due for a big win streak when everyone's back.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that the Eastern Conference is hotly contested right now. And it's almost, for me, what the eight teams that are currently in there are the eight teams that I think will make the playoffs. You know, Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Heat, Sixers, Pacers, Nets, Magic. I think that the Nets have a shot to go as high as maybe five because I think that Heat are the the likely team to drop off. Maybe the Sixers start to figure it out. The paces I think, have been playing some really, really good basketball. Obviously, four wins straight for and them. And they'll
2: get Vic back at some time.
1: Exactly. So they're, they're certainly a team to, to keep an eye on. Uh, I think the Nets, you know, I predicted them to be a 45-win team. I think that they have potential to get a little bit higher if, you know, we maintain some health and get some guys back. But there are, I think, from the flip side as well, Nick, there are going to be some chemistry issues in terms of on-court chemistry. Let me preface that. There's going to be on-court chemistry issues when Kyrie and Karis come back because they do play a different style of basketball. Both of them like to ISO a lot. And uh, because they're not just the one person, they're not just Spencer Dimity running the show, they also need to think about, all right, how am I going to get my other guys involved? How is this, how how am I contributing to the team while also bringing my own talent? And I think that that's one thing that gets spoken about with Kyrie Irving a lot. And you know it's 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 some it's an it's an argument that I think has some validity to it. I don't believe in the, the whole passing and stats numbers or whatever, but I do agree that Kyrie has to find a way to bring his immense talents and also keep his guys I- engaged and, and keep finding his guys some looks. And for the most part, when we when we did have him, that was the case. It was for me more as he was struggling with the shoulder issue in the the three or four games where he was questionable, where he was struggling to find that balance because he was obviously impeded.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, just to touch on the Eastern Cops before I dive into Kyrie, I think the fact is the Nets are really only three and a half games from the three spot. It just shows you that, you know, having that rough start early on is okay because you can clean that up because you have, you know, 60 games to get up in the standings. But getting back to Kyrie, still adjustment. I think there could be some value in sitting on the bench and watching your teammates play and getting a better understanding of like, hey, where they like the ball, or maybe even having more trust in somebody and the plays that they can make.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, It's going to be certainly one to watch because, you know, the Eastern Conference is a little bit stronger than probably some people thought. At least, you know, one through six. Top-wise. Yeah, top-wise, one through six or seven, I think you know, with the Wizards and the, and the Hornets at 9-10, it's certainly, you know, that play-in tournament would be pretty fun watching the Wizards compete for it. I know my my other favorite, Nick, would certainly be happy about that. But Especially you know, the way
2: they shoot threes. They could just get hot one game, and, like, the Wizards could beat somebody and get into the playoffs. But, like, obviously that's for JBT and the outlet.
1: <laughs> True that. But, uh, you know, if the Nets continue to stay hot, Nick, then from three as well, we were hot today. 17-41, to you know, there were some, some big moments. And when the Nets are hot from three, it does change their offense.
2: 100 percent and i think it was perfect against a team like boston whose three-point defense like we mentioned on wednesday just hasn't been great because they have to compensate a little bit for that lack of rim protection and interior defense and allows you to kind of pass up and get some open shots on the three-point land and hopefully they can build this confidence from three and carry it on yeah
1: it'll be tough against the miami heat they are an incredibly well coached team and a really good defensive team at that so it's going to be a tough matchup but you take some good momentum
2: Yeah, I think the thing you're hoping for against Miami is you just need to come out very strong defensively because offensively, they're not amazing and you can disrupt them, but they're going to come out and play good defense regardless. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Jack, that wraps it up. As always, a pleasure talking to you about the Nets, especially after a W. Big thanks to everybody listening. Like I mentioned, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com.